you guys know what context is? Have you guys learned about that in school? Who can tell me what context is? What is context? Justin, what do you think? Okay, like, he said what's it, what it's about. Help him out. What, what else does context mean? Yep. Yep, what something is based on what you read in the text. Good. What else? What is context? Cameron, what's up? It is a word, but what does the word mean? I think, I think Liliana had a good uh, description there of what context is. So it's, it's what something means based on what you read, right? So when you're reading, the context is like understanding what a specific sentence means based on all of the everything else that you've read, right? But you can use context in all sorts of different ways. Like, context can change your perspective on a situation based on the information that you know. Like, let me give you an example. What if I told you that right now I'm on drugs, right? All right, you guys all looked at me crazy. Now, now, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Now, now what if I gave you the context that I was prescribed those drugs by my doctor? You understand? It changes your perspective. You get information and you understand better because of the context that you have, right? So uh, context is important in all sorts of situations, right? Focus up, focus up. I know I gave you a crazy example. But context is uh, important in all sorts of situations, but it's also important in our faith too. Context is super important. It provides a foundation to what we believe and how we are to act as Christians. Context is super important. In fact, uh, Jesus talks about con having context to our faith, our faith as being like a foundation in the Gospel of Matthew. He gives this example of two guys that are building houses. And he says, one guy decided to build a house on top of sand. And then a storm comes and it washes the sand away and the house crumbles from beneath it. And then there's one guy who builds a house on top of rock. And the storm comes, but the rock doesn't uh, wash away. It stays firm. And so his house stays strong, right? So context is like that. Being able to have uh, understanding our faith and being able to understand what the Bible teaches us, what the word of God is, being able to understand that is like the foundation of our faith. So we have all sorts of different things that, can be foundations to our faith. But the question is really, is your faith built on something solid? Is it built on something solid, right? Like you could uh, have the foundation of your faith be your emotions, right? But what if your emotions change, right? Then what, right? Is that a solid foundation? No. But what about like your experiences, right? Like you've experienced God in a really powerful way and that's what impacts your faith. But what if you have an experience that conflicts with that, right? Our experience, experiences can conflict with each other. Our emotions can conflict with each other. And so those aren't solid foundations. But uh, we do have some things that we can make solid foundations for our faith. Things like our, the gospel, which we've been talking about for the past several weeks since we started the school year, right? Understanding the love of God that's been made known to us through Jesus, Right? That, that's the basis of the gospel, and that should be a solid foundation of our faith. But the way that we know that, the way we understand the gospel, is because of the Bible. 
right? And so the Bible is this foundation for our faith as well. How we know who God is and what he's done for us, right? The Bible is so important and it's such an important foundation to our faith. So uh, when we're reading the Bible, sometimes it can be hard to understand what it's saying. Have you guys ever been reading the Bible and not understood what it says? Right? We've all been there before, right? It's difficult to read sometimes, and so context becomes really important for re- understanding and interpreting the Bible because, you know, sometimes people can make the Bible sort of like this, Plato, right? You know, and like they can take a verse from the Bible, if I can get it out, they can take a verse from the Bible and they can say, you know, this verse looks like this to me. And then another person they take this verse and they say, you know, no, I don't agree with that. I, I think that the Bible means this. And another person makes it another shape. And another person makes it another shape. And they're using it to say all sorts of things. But in reality, the Bible has one true meaning, right? It it's, has a correct interpretation. And there's incorrect interpretation. We can't just make it say whatever we want to say. It's, it's more like this rock here where we can't shape it into whatever shape we want it to be, but instead, it's the shape that it is, and we have to learn to understand based on the context. So in this case, looking at the rock and seeing the shape that it is. So context is super important for understanding the Bible and making it a foundation for our faith. And so that's exactly what we are doing in this new foundation series, is we're taking a look at one of the biggest pieces of context that the Bible has, and that is the history of God's interaction with a group of people called the Israelites. Now, it is a super important foundation to understanding our faith as Christians, but much of this context starts with a man named Abram. Now, if you've ever heard the name Abram or Abraham, it's the same person and we're, that we're talking about here. But before we jump into our passage that we're going to read tonight, I want to give you a few things that we learn about Abram before we jump into the story that we're going to be reading. So here's what they are. The first idea about Abram is that he is a descendant of Noah, of Noah's ark, right? You guys have heard the story of Noah's ark where there was going to be a flood over the whole earth and so God had Noah build a boat, a giant boat called an ark and he had every animal, two of every animal come on the boat with him and him and his family survived the great flood, right? So Abram is a descendant of this guy Noah by only a few generations. It's like his great grandpa, right? So Abraham, or sorry, Abram is a descendant of Noah. And Abram is also married. He has a wife named Sarai. So Abram is married to Sarai. And Abram and Sarai, they have no children, right? In fact, they are unable to have children, right? Abram and, and Sarai, they aren't able to have children together. There's uh, something wrong that they're not able to be able to have children. And Abram and his wife Sarai, they live in Haran with their family. So Abram's dad and his nephew Lot, they all live together in this city called Haran. So as the story picks up that we're about to read together, the last thing that we learned is that Abram's father has just died. All right, so let's go ahead and read the story together that we're looking at tonight, and then we will discuss. This is what it says. This is Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the lands that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Keep going. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morath. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and, pinched, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. All right, so something we see here in this story is Abraham, or Abram is, is taking a big risk by leaving his family. And sometimes we're called to take big risks when we follow Jesus. Right, so for, for Abram, it was leaving his family. But, uh, you know, when I think about moving out, when I was getting ready to graduate high school and go to college, I was so excited to move out of my parents' house. Like, I, I didn't want to live there anymore. In fact, I was so ready to get out of their house that I didn't even let them help me move out. I did it all on my own because I wanted to be out on my own. I wanted, to let, uh, wanted them to let me do my own thing. And, but sometimes we, we see other people, right? You guys have heard of like 30-year-olds that are still living in their parents' basement, right? right? This idea of like failure to launch, right? And Abraham or Abram takes this to another level, right? He's 75 years old and he's still living in his dad's house, right? Like this is like your grandpa living with your great-grandpa, right? So it's crazy that he's still living with his uh, dad. But the fact remains that he didn't want to leave. He didn't have the desire to leave like we do when we are getting ready to graduate high school. And so Abram was content. He was comfortable. He didn't want to leave his father's homeland. So this was a big risk for him. But God motivates him uh, to leave, right? And so, so sometimes we're called to take a big risk, but many times we're called with some convincing, Right, so God motivates him to leave. God gives him these incredible promises to Abram. He says to him that his family will be made into a great nation. Now think about who this is real quick, right? Abram, who's married to his wife Sarai, and him and Sarai cannot have children, right? They don't have a family, right? They're unable to have a family. And so God has promised to turn his family into a great nation of people. So he's promising to do this miracle to be able to help them to have a child in the first place. But on top of that, he's going to turn their family not into just a large family, but an entire country of people, right? An entire nation of people. And this nation will be 
great, right? Saying, referring to that it will be large and that it will be uh, uh, prosperous and that it will be well known among the nations in the world. And so God makes that promise to him. He also promises to Abram that he will make his name great, right? So the idea here is not that Abram is really proud and he wants his name to be like the most well-known name in the world, but instead the idea is that Abram and his family will be really prosperous for the sake of blessing everyone else around them, being able to care for everyone else around them. He also promises that in order to make all of this happen, that God promises he will protect Abram and his family. He also promises that through Abram and his family, that everyone on earth is going to be blessed. Now, these are huge promises. This is a big deal, right? He's promised to turn his family into an entire great nation of people that everyone on earth is going to be blessed by, right? So this uh, big deal that's happening here is changing the relationship between God and huma humans. See, for the entire first 11 chapters, we're in chapter 12 of Genesis right now, the very first 11 chapters of the first book of the Bible, the relationship between God and humans isn't that great, right? Ever since the first humans, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They brought evil into the world, and it caused this brokenness and this fracture in the relationship between God and humans. And so there's all sorts of these awful things that are happening because of that, right? So Adam and Eve were banished from the garden that they lived in, and then death entered the world, and so humans started dying, and evil is part of the world now, and even murder, right? There's, uh, if you know the story of Cain and Abel, brother killing brother, if uh, you're familiar with the story of Noah's Ark, there's this flood that comes and punishes all of the wickedness of the world by this mass killing of almost everyone on earth, right? Uh, if you're familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel, we see this uh, scattering and this confusion, this disunifying of all humans, right? So the relationship between God and humans is a lot more related to curse than it is to blessing at this point. But now God is showing his desire to bless humans. He's changing the relationship. He's showing this, this desire to be able to have a positive blessing sort of relationship with humans rather than a curse relationship with humans. So uh, we see in that this glimmer of the gospel, right? This is that thing that we were talking about the last several weeks. This idea that through the gospel, through, uh, through Abram's family, who eventually a descendant, a long descendant of Abram and his family is King David. And, and uh, eventually from the line of King David comes a man named Jesus, right? And we're, we've talked about Jesus the last several weeks, but we know that the gospel centers around Jesus, who is God's son, came to earth to die on the cross for our sins, right? And so even early, thousands of years before Jesus was born, we see this glimmer of the gospel long before Jesus was ever even uh, thought, known of by humans. So we see this picture of a blessing and cursing that happens here. And there, there things are set in place already for the gospel to be able to come true. God had a plan from the beginning to be able to show us how to make a way to fix our relationship. So sometimes we're called to take a big risk. Many times we're called with some convincing, but no matter what, 
we're always called to obey God. We're always called to obey God. And that's exactly what Abram does here in this passage. See, think about this for a second. How old was Abram when he left his father's homeland? 75, right? That's old, right? Like, how old are you guys? Like 11, 12, 13, maybe 14, right? Shh. You guys, that's like six times, seven times your age, right? This dude is old, right? And it's not like him moving to a different area. It's not like he just goes to U-Haul and he gets a truck and he loads up all of his stuff and he hires some movers and he gets on Route 80 and he goes, right? This is like he has to walk through the desert as a 75-year-old man. He has to carry all his possessions, probably taking a donkey, right? He's, he's risking his life to do this. But he, he trusts God and he obeys. And this isn't just a decision that was risking himself either. This is a decision that risked everyone around him, right? He has his, him, his family, so his wife and his nephew. And then he has all of his servants and the people that he acquired that they talked about in Haran, right? So if things go sideways on this move, so for example, uh, they get lost in the desert and they die. If they're without water and they die. If they're without food and they die. If they get attacked and they die. If they get caught in a storm without shelter and they die, right? All, a million things could go wrong to make this move go sideways. And he's willing to risk it all because he trusts God. He trusts God. And so they arrive safely. They get there safely. And so his trust in God is rewarded, right? They didn't die in the desert, but they arrived safely. But then something really special happens. His trust in God is confirmed. So after he arrives, we see this really cool interaction where God again appears to Abram and he speaks to him and he confirms, this is the land that I've set before you. This land is for you and your family, right? He confirms, like, like think about it. How many times have you guys tried to do something to follow God and you're like, I wonder if I'm actually doing the right thing. I wonder if I'm actually doing what God wants me to be doing, right? But Abram actually had God appear to him and say, Abram, you did the right thing. You did it. Well done. Here's the land. Here's what I promised you, right? So it's this beautiful moment of his trust being confirmed in God, but there's still promises to be fulfilled, right? He promised more than just land to Abram. He promised him a family, and he doesn't have a child yet. He promises to turn that family into a great nation. And he still doesn't have a child, right? So there's lots left to be done. But there is this trusting in this moment that God will fulfill his promises. So we see God showing his love toward Abram and ultimately everyone on earth through the promises he gives to Abram here in this chapter. It's this beautiful picture that we see. So when we think about what it looks like for us to be understanding this passage and applying this passage, to be able to not just understand the information that we just talked about, but instead being able to use that information in our lives. I want you guys to think about how do we follow when we're called? How do we follow when we're called? Right, when God asks us to do something, how do we follow that? Well, there's, I think, two things that I want to point out to you here. And the first one is that Following God isn't comfortable. Following God isn't comfortable. 
right? Like, you may think to yourself sometimes that, like, if I follow God, then all of my problems will go away. And that, that's just not true, unfortunately. I wish I could tell you it was. But regardless of whether it's comfortable or not, it's not just about you. See, following God isn't always comfortable, but it's not just about you. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger story that is good for everyone, even if it means a momentary hardship for you. You're able to to bless people and help bring them to having hope in Jesus by maybe going through a temporary hardship. And so following God can be totally difficult, but it's not just about you. There's a bigger picture behind it all. So when God calls, we follow for a few different reasons. We follow because God cares about you, right? Like he loves you so much. Look how much he's done for you. We went through this whole gospel series a few weeks ago and we talked about how when, when uh, God uh, made a way for us to be able to have relationship with him, he made a way to fix this problem of sin that we have that we couldn't fix for ourselves. We had this unfixable problem that God made a way for and so he did that all out of love for you. So God cares about you. He loves you. And so we should love God in return. We, we love God and we follow God because of how much he's loved us. We f- we're following his example when we follow him. And lastly, we should trust God. Again, it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's not always going to be fun. But we follow him knowing that he always has our good and the people around us, their good in mind. Right? God always is seeking the good of his people. And so when we follow him, it's not always going to be easy. In fact, it might even be risky. It might even be dangerous. It might be difficult. It might be cause suffering or uh, all sorts of different things that we may not want to go through. But it's worth it because God is good and he's thinking about the good of all people, even if we have to go through something difficult to start. So, What we're going to do is in just a second, I want you guys to stay where you're at and stay silent for just a second, but you guys are going to be breaking into small groups to discuss what we just talked about. So I'm going to, just a second, I'm going to pray for you, and then once I'm finished praying, what I'd like you to do is I'd like for you to find an adult leader. Everyone needs to be with an adult leader. So what you're going to do is if you go to an adult leader and there's like, 15 students with them already, I want you to find a different adult leader because that group's too big. We're trying to keep these groups as small as possible. So let me pray for you, and then you guys can go find a leader. Can you guys nod your head if that makes sense? All right, great. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, we thank you so much for being able to look into your word tonight and being able to have a a foundation to our faith. As we work through this series and looking at some of the context of Scripture and being able to understand the history of how you've interacted with people and how you've called people and how you've walked people through difficult things, I, help, I pray that you would work through your Holy Spirit to help us to follow you, to be able to trust you when things are difficult, to be able to look to you when we're having a hard time and to trust you no matter what, to follow you and obey you no matter what. So we ask for these uh, students that as we take time to discuss this now, that you'll 
help each of us to think of ways that we need to challenge ourselves to follow you more. Show us the ways that we're not doing very well at that so that we can grow in that and grow closer to you and follow you better and better each day. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, go find a leader. Hey, well, you guys, uh, the whole purpose of why we do what we do here is to help you guys to grow in your faith and to be able to learn things from the Bible and from your leaders of, of what it's like to follow Jesus uh, and so that you guys can go out and do that on your own. And so I hope that this conversation that you guys just had in your small groups helped to give you something to challenge yourself to follow Jesus this week. So uh, I want you, to, real quick, I'm going to give you like 10 seconds. I want you to think about what is one thing that you're going to do between this week and next week before you come back. 10 seconds. Shh. That's a in your head question. In your head questions. Shh. All right, all right, all right. Shh. So if you haven't thought of something yet, I want you to stay and talk with your leader and try and figure that one thing out. Because again, if you're just learning this stuff and it just stays in your head and it never changes the way you act, this is all pointless, right? It's all about learning to follow Jesus, which has to be part of our actions. So if you guys don't have something in your head, I want you to stay and talk to your leader about it. But otherwise, I thank you guys for coming. It was great hanging out with you tonight, and we will see you next Wednesday for our next midweek. Bye, guys.